All right, welcome to Everyday Church. Welcome to uh, the first Sunday in our new uh, teaching series. We're starting off the series called The Table. Um, if you guys have ever, many of you have been over to our apartment, um, if you've been to our apartment, then maybe you've noticed the giant wooden table that we have in one section of our kind of living room, dining and kitchen area. And uh, it's a big table, right? It's, uh, it's pretty long. It actually has two wings I can add to both ends to make it like 12 feet, I don't even know, like 12 feet long or something. So it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, it's like solid and heavy and thick. And uh, it's just a, you know, it's a good table. It stands up well to all the abuse that we put it through, all the scrapes, Mike, all the abuse Mike puts it through, uh, the scrapes and dings and spills and all that. It's, uh, it's, a, good, it's a good table. It's great for, um, uh, for getting lots of people around for meals. It's also great for epic board games with lots of pieces, which it, I'm trying to, I need to go back and try to figure out, do the math. Has it been used more for meals or more for board games? That's the question. So it's, uh, it's a great table. We have laughed around that table. We've cried around that. We've argued and debated. We've, I was thinking, we've had some great meals around that table. We've also suffered through some failed recipes around that table. There have been some moments where we're like, oh, that didn't work. No, uh, we're going to we'll just wait for the next meal. So it's, uh, it's been just this sort of joyful experience around that table. We have experienced in, this is kind of language um, that in the Celtic Christian sort of world you would hear, the ministry of conversation around that table, the ministry of hospitality around um, that table. So the idea of the table and meals is uh, it's used in scripture a great deal in lots of different ways to give us, I think, ideas and images and very practical examples of what life in this world following Jesus looks like. And so we, uh, we picked this title, uh, The Table, for this series because the table represents, in a way, life together. It represents shared life, shared experiences, uh, hospitality. It's a gathering place of family and friends, a place of provision, a place of relationship. And so we're calling this series The Table because all of that stuff is exactly what Everyday Church is about. It's what we care about. It's what it, following Jesus looks like. In fact, uh, it's the very way that Jesus lived his life. And we're going to see that as we're going through this series, um, looking at the table and meals and observing Jesus around the table. So I was reflecting uh, the other day just on different stories that I could remember uh, about Jesus, particularly related to, um, to meals and table and all that stuff. And uh, the, the accounts of Scripture that we, are the accounts of Jesus' life in Scripture that we get from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, the bulk of what they write represents about three and a half years of Jesus' life. So the beginning of most of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us a little bit of information about when Jesus was born and the first couple of years of his life. And then there's this big gap of like 30 years or so until he's 30, which would have been the age when he was kind of recognized by his, uh, his community and society as being an adult. And he left home around the age of 30 and began what we refer to as his public ministry, his time out in public where he was out and about doing the things that we know him best for. Uh, and that time, from the time his public ministry began until uh, he ascended into heaven is about three and a half years. We kind of know from piecing together different events that that took place over about three and a half years. So I was doing the math, like, okay, three and a half years, let's assume that um, Jesus ate three meals a day. 
that's a pretty normal, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's a pretty normal thing through history if you could afford it, if you had the resources. So let's assume that Jesus eat, ate, three, uh, ate three meals a day for three and a half years. That's about 4,000 meals. That's a lot of meals, 4,000 meals in that period of time. We also know that Jesus invited a group of people along with him in his life to share his life, to travel with him. Everywhere he went, he had this group of people with him, and then other people that would join in for a little while and dip out. And so most of those 4,000 meals most likely would have been shared meals, meals that he was sitting down with other people um, through the course of the meal, sharing that time. So the author, uh, Robert Karras, who he writes a lot about, specifically about Jesus and meals that we see in Scripture, uh, is kind of one of the topics he focuses on. This is what uh, Robert Karras had to say. In Luke's Gospel, so looking at Luke's account of Jesus' life, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. When you look at the different stories and the way Luke portrays Jesus' life, it, it, in almost every case, he's either on his way to a meal somewhere or he's at a meal having a conversation or whatever the story is going on through the course of the meal or he's just left one and he's headed somewhere else, uh, which is kind of, you know, kind of fascinating that that much of Jesus' life is portrayed uh, in relationship to table, the table and to meals, that uh, the account of Jesus' life are full of tables and meals. We see Jesus eating, and I started thinking through, like, context and what was going on in those different stories. We see Jesus eating with friends. We see him eating with enemies. We see Jesus eating with powerful people and powerless people, men and women and children, popular people and outcasts, hated people, religious leaders at times, and completely non-religious people at times. Sometimes he's eating with a few people. Sometimes he's sharing a meal with thousands of people. Sometimes Jesus is the one who's cooking or preparing the meal, which is kind of cool stories. In lots of stories, he, it, people are preparing meals for him. He's enjoying somebody else's hospitality. Sometimes he's honored at the meal. Sometimes he's like the celebrity at the meal. Sometimes he's attacked. He's ridiculed during the course of those meals. Sometimes he's featured, sometimes he's just an observer. He eats inside sometimes, and he eats out some, outside sometimes. So sometimes it's in houses, sometimes it's by a lake on the shore or up on a hillside somewhere. We see uh, Jesus eating feasts and very simple meals. Sometimes he's teaching, sometimes he's just watching and listening, sometimes he's just celebrating whatever the event that he was at signified. Some of Jesus' most significant teaching is either at a meal or about a meal or it contains a meal as some element in the story or what he's teaching about. I don't think, actually, that you can really appreciate the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus if you remove the table and you remove the context of the meal. So much of what he was accomplishing and doing in his life was revealed through the way he shared life and meals with other people. All right, so have I piqued your interest for the series? If so, I can just quit right now, and we'll just wait for the next couple of weeks. Wendy will be up here the next couple of Sundays, and she'll knock it out of the park. Okay, so just in case you're not following with me, and it's totally okay if you're not, we're going to take a break, sort of a break. Um, we're going to do a little bit of what Jesus did. So uh, last week, Alberto was finishing up our series on names of God, and one of the, uh, the titles he talked about of Jesus was Bread of Life. And he talked a lot about bread 
and he sent me some texts after the service about what he was doing with the bread that he brought and the sandwiches that he was making and stuff. And it got me really excited about bread. And I thought, you know, Jesus ate a lot of bread, and so we should probably take a moment to spend some time and just eat some bread. So I brought a bunch of bread. So we are going to take a break for the next 10 minutes, and uh, I've got bread, there's um, jam over there, there's honey, there's Irish butter. If you've never had Irish butter, it's like next level butter. So like good stuff. Uh, So we're just going to take a couple minutes and uh, enjoy some bread and talk and say hello and greet some old friends, some new friends, and uh, give some hugs and just practice a little bit of what this whole breaking bread together thing was all about. And then uh, I'll rally us back here in about 10 minutes. All right. Okay, let's go have some bread. All right. So hopefully, like, you got it. The table, meals, gathering around the table. That helped, like, get us in the mode. All right. So um, you want to put that diagram up there? Okay. Coming, it's coming. Oh, anybody recognize this? Anybody recognize this diagram? Know what it is? Remember? This is a test. I didn't tell you the Jesus. Did you say it's Jesus? Jesus in the middle. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Okay. All right. Clearly, I didn't do a very good job back in February when we talked about this. (laughs) It was just a small part of the message that day. So this um, Jesus in the middle, the little circles. Those are people. That's us gathered around Jesus, sharing our lives, discipleship, the D stands for discipleship, worship up there, mission at the bottom. This is like you boil the church down to its simplest form on a post-it note that I actually have a post-it note if anybody wants a souvenir. If you boil this, that's another thing. We'll talk about that again soon. It's good. That's That's some good stuff too. So this, if you boil the church down, that is the essence of church. We talked about this back in February, kind of getting into this idea of what is church and what is it about and why do we do the things that we do. And uh, and so we talked about life uh, around, gathered around Jesus, Jesus at the center of it, sharing our lives with one another, discipleship, learning what it means to live Jesus' way. Worship is uh, the things that we say and do to show God what he's worth to us, how much we love him and appreciate and value him. And uh, the way we do that individually, kind of on our own, and then collectively as the church. So worship happens when we uh, get together. And uh, and then there's this mission thing at the bottom. And so that, I wanted to dive in a little bit more into the concept of, uh, of mission a little bit. And what that thing down there is. And then how that relates to... Uh, to the table, to this idea of how Jesus lived his life and functioned, gathering around tables and sharing meals um, with so many different uh, different folks. So, so first of all, just kind of thinking about this and kind of get get your mind around this a little bit. What does mission even mean? So you kind of think about examples in our lives of like the mission downtown or um, you're on a mission or whatever. Like, what does that even mean? This idea of mission. What does it mean to say? that Jesus had a mission, that he created a church. We talked about this before, that he created a church to live that mission out. He created this church to function in a way that we're living his mission out in our context and in, um, in this space. So last week, Alberto mentioned uh, the phrase son of man. He talked about this phrase. I think Wendy taught about it sometime in a previous series, uh, maybe last fall. But uh, this idea of the, the Son of Man, so this was a phrase that Jesus borrowed 
from uh, a Hebrew prophet that lived hundreds of years before Jesus, actually. And so this Hebrew prophet had uh, said that there was someone that was going to be coming that uh, would have authority from God and was going to do a bunch of uh, really important, really uh, significant things in the world. And he referred to that person as the Son of Man. And that was a phrase and a title that Jesus then adopted to refer to himself. And so he would call and refer to himself as the Son of Man. So he borrowed that from, a, from a, a prophet hundreds of years before that. So there are three times in Scripture where Jesus uses a very specific phrase about the Son of Man. And uh, I want us to dive into those a little bit to process this idea of mission and how that this all relates. So the phrase that Jesus used, uh, it goes a little bit like this, something like this. The Son of Man came into the world, dot, dot, dot. So the Son of Man came into the world, and then he kind of filled in the blank three different occasions of that phrase. So in two of the three phrases, uh, two of the three times that Jesus uses this phrase, the Son of Man came into the world, he is describing his mission. He's describing what he was about, some of what he was accomplishing with his life and through the course of his, uh, few, the course of his life here on earth. So in Matthew 10, we, uh, we find Jesus saying this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Son of Man came into the world to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus came into the world on a mission. The Son of Man came into the world to serve, to give his life as a ransom, to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus was up to. This was his mission. This was what he was accomplishing through the course of his life. Reconciliation, restoration of the world and humanity to God and back into relationship with God. So the third occasion that Jesus uses this phrase, the Son of Man came into the world, is a little bit different um, than the other two. So it's not a statement of his mission. It's more a statement of how he lived his life and how he lived that mission out. So we have the idea of what Jesus was up to, his mission, and then sort of his strategy or his way of living that mission out through the course of his life. So it's kind of crazy. It's kind of controversial a little bit, a little bit profound. So let me read it to you from Luke chapter 7. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's kind of funny to me. He's <laughs> like, so this deep sort of, con- there's something going on here. What is Jesus saying? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. The Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save the lost. The con- Son of Man came eating and drinking. The significance of this phrase, we're kind of like, what? What is going on here? It seems a little bit odd when we find a kind of first um, run into it. If you look at the context of what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 7, Actually, Jesus is, this eating and drinking statement, Jesus was being um, accused of eating in excess and drinking in excess, of being a glutton and a drunkard. And his response to that was this idea that I came into the world really eating and really drinking, the way people watched and observed how he lived and how he functioned and how he lived out his mission uh, and who he shared his life with. So I would suggest to you that this statement, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, is as profound uh, as the other two, that he was here to seek and to save the lost, to bring restoration and reconciliation to the world. Um, That when we look at the way he lived and the way he functioned, 
uh, in the world and in relationship with others around the table and sharing meals, that there's something very significant that we learn about Jesus and about what he cared about. And when we zoom in and we kind of look at this reality of Jesus and meals and Jesus on the table, and then we do that in the context of humanity, then we start to realize that something very significant is happening on the way Jesus is functioning here. That when we show up, when humanity shows up at the table, we show up with all of our brokenness and all of our beauty. All of it we bring to the table. We bring into relationship. We bring in to these meals um, together. So I was reading something this past week, and uh, I was reading an article, and it got me looking at different pictures or whatever, and I was kind of scrolling down through these different pictures and really bothersome sort of imagery. And um, they were so stressful and terrible that I thought I'd share them with you. So I have a few of these horrible pictures um, to bring to show you guys. So no blacks, no dogs, no Negroes, no Mexicans, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. These, on and on, these signs went as I was kind of searching down through. Pictures of signs hanging on restaurant doors. Pictures of signs hanging over tables. Making it clear who's welcome, who's not welcome, who's in and who's out. This is our history as humanity. And Jesus' time was no different. You can move on to another slide right there. That's enough of that stuff. (laughs) Jesus' day was no different than our own history in America and around the world. That division and discrimination that these people wouldn't eat with those people. The rich wouldn't eat with the poor. The civilized wouldn't eat with the uncivilized. The righteous wouldn't eat with the unrighteous. The sick and diseased, they were just kicked out of town. They can't share in meals with us. Women served. They didn't participate in the shared meals. And yet Jesus came eating and drinking with all of them. With all of the people he ran into the course of his life, he shared meals with And when he was criticized and rebuked, when he was mocked by people of privilege who said he was doing it the wrong way, he stood with the marginalized and he stood in the gap with the people that were outcasts and dismissed by the rest of the world. That with the simple human act of eating and drinking, Jesus demonstrated grace and acceptance in Maybe the most practical way that we can do it. It can be done by a human. Kindness, compassion, unconditional love. He invited humans into a relationship with God, into a shared meal, regularly over and over the Son of God at a table, sharing his life, his love, his wisdom, his time, his joy, his sadness, sharing all of that in relationship with humans. God in relationship with humanity. So in her book, uh, Hungry City, Carolyn Steele writes uh, few acts are more expressive of companionship than the shared meal. Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. Kind of a cool reflection. So I didn't realize as I was reading some of her stuff and a variety of other things, I did not realize the word, maybe you know this, probably not, but it's kind of cool fact. The word companion, it actually comes from two Latin words, bread, together. Like the basic definition, the origination of the word companion is to share bread together. It's to eat bread. That's what it means at its basic level. To be companions is to share a meal together, to eat together, to enjoy 
relationship through food and one another's time. So in his book, uh, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester unpacks a lot of the ideas that we get from scripture of Jesus coming into the world, eating and drinking. Um, it wa- he kind of talked through it as this sort of strategy. It was the way in which Jesus went about accomplishing and revealing his mission. What was he up to in the world? The easiest way for him to demonstrate that was through shared meals and the people who he was willing to uh, engage in meals with, the broad spectrum of people and um, the way he didn't sort of withhold that from people that weren't uh, generally accepted into relationship. Uh, And so Tim Chester kind of unpacks that idea and really gets into this idea of God with us, of companionship with God and what Jesus was demonstrating, that he was demonstrating um, that this is a God, that we have a God who eats with these, who shares that level of intimacy and relationship with us, that he would invite us into into life with him. So the Apostle Paul, uh, there's a couple of passages I'm writing, things that Paul wrote that I want to look at here because I think it gets into the heart of this idea of the table and why this approach to functioning as a church is really important to us. So the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in the city of Rome and the surrounding area, uh, this, was, this, probably, this letter was probably written 20 or 30 years after Jesus' life, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Uh, and this is what Paul writes. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, Paul says, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So catch the phrases that he uses there. When we were still powerless, while we were still sinners, while we were even God's enemies. And that is exactly what we see Jesus modeling as he shares his life and his relationship and meals, as he sits around and gathers around the table with countless people through the course, a practical way of him living this out, that he didn't limit, we don't see Jesus limiting access to him to people who had their acts together, who like kind of cleaned themselves up, who were righteous or holy. Uh, He meets with a broad spectrum of people, people that were opposition, people that were against the Jewish people, people that were against him, in fact, the attacks that he received at dinner parties, he put himself into these positions. He didn't limit access to him, relationship with him, to people who had their acts together. He ate with messy and broken folks. It struck me that the number of people, and who knows how many times this happened, but people that ate and shared a meal with Jesus and had no idea who he was. They had no idea who was offering them friendship. They had no idea that the love that was being communicated through that meal, the access that they had to the Son of God in that moment, sitting around a table sharing a meal, and still, even though they did not know, he shared himself with them. While we were still powerless, while we were still stumbling around in darkness, even while we were against God, that's when he sits down with us to share his life with us. So in another letter uh, that Paul wrote about the same time, it was to a different church, the church in Corinth, Paul writes this, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That last phrase, 
is um, beautiful. Not counting people's sins against them. Opening the door, offering us friendship, acceptance, unconditional love, not holding our sins against us. It is our great and sad tendency to do the opposite of this, to hold people's sins, their choices, their actions against them. You're not welcome here. You don't fit. You've got to clean up your act, clean up your life before you can have access to Jesus, before you can have access to God, before you can have access to the family of God as we gather together. Woe to the church that would not offer the same grace that God offers. So Paul says that God is busy reconciling the world, reconciling humanity back into this relationship with God. But then he goes on to say something more than that. He says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That he was busy reconciling. He accomplished something extraordinary in his life, and he passed that mission and that uh, responsibility of reconciliation on to us. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to everyday church. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation in our context, in our space, in our relationships, given us a job to do, to offer the same kind of love and acceptance, not counting people's sins against them. So I don't know about you, but um, that's a little bit intimidating to be like, okay, Jesus was up to this thing, and he was reconciled, he was doing all this stuff, and then he's like, here you go. Now this is your ministry, this ministry of reconciliation, of not holding people's sins against them, of sharing your life, of loving and caring and unconditionally welcoming people in to relationship with you. That, to me, is a little bit scary until I read this. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And I'm like, oh. That was a part of Jesus' strategy. I, I can do that. I think, I, I think we can do that, right? We can eat and drink. We, we can offer relationship through these meals that we enjoy, the way that we live um, our lives. In fact, actually, this, this is like the, just so you know, if you were scared and forgetting this, you guys are already doing this stuff. This is already the way we function as a church, that we regularly sit down, all of us, with lots of different people, and we sit down at the table with them, we share and enjoy meals, we offer companionship to people in our neighborhood, in our city, in our world. This is actually something that we understand and do well. So Everyday Church has, uh, we've been around for close to nine years now, and I would say if there's one thing, the leaders, we talk about this now and then, like, what are we doing okay at? And usually we're like, you know, we got this meal thing down. <laughs> we know how to share meals together. We know how to share our lives together. We know how to be present for one another in the midst of life, the way Jesus was present with people, that Jesus came eating and drinking. And so everyday church is going to show up eating and drinking, sharing and welcoming people into relationship. And sometimes that's through meals, but that happens in lots and lots of different ways. Our couches, our cookouts, our adventures that we have, together, celebrating, mourning, laughing, weeping, moving furniture, holding babies, learning from one another, spending time listening to each other's stories. We know how to do this. We know how to share our lives in a way that uh, invites people into that space and gives people opportunity to be known and to get to know. Uh, and so um, Everyday church, I think, we have come eating and drinking, and so this is why this is so important to us. We have meals, we, uh, so 
Um, three Sundays from now, so we have the next two Sundays, uh, we'll be, Wendy will be doing teaching here, and then uh, on the Sunday after Easter, we're, we're going to be in the same room, but we're just going to have a big meal together. And we do that typically Memorial Day weekend, Fourth of July, we usually, that weekend, we usually, as a church, just go to the park Sunday morning and have a big feast there. Labor Day, um, we'll have a big meal probably here on the playground again. And Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving feast, like we spend time regularly here and then gatherings in people's homes and um, Thursday night potlucks and all, you know, all sorts of different meals that happen through the course of, um, through the course of the year and the way that we function as a church. Because we understand Jesus sat down and offered friendship and relationship. He demonstrated that to the world through his willingness to open his life up, to share his life and to, and to share meals. And so that's a part of the way we do it, relationship happening and building and the opportunities that that gives us to love and to care for people. And so uh, the table, this is the idea in uh, this series, is for us to just process through stories of Jesus around tables, of hospitality, of what it means for us to function as a church in a very practical way to, um, to connect and love the people in our neighborhood. Uh, and so a few weeks uh, around Easter to meet Jesus at the table, to share with one another and to learn um, together from Jesus as he uh, shared meals with others. All right, so uh, band, you guys can come on up. Um, so one of the final meals, there's a few meals that are recorded for us in, uh, in Scripture towards the very end of Jesus' life before he ascended into heaven. One of his final meals was at Passover. It was a big celebration that happened among Jewish people of that time and, uh, and the way that they would do it. And so he and his friends gathered together for Passover. And in the midst of that meal, Wendy's going to teach on this next week and talk about the concept uh, and what was going on uh, there and what Jesus was kind of revealing through that particular meal. Uh, she's going to talk about that next week. But uh, one of the things that he did there was ask us, when we sit down to meals together, when you do this, he said to his friends, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. When you sit down at a meal, remember me. And so when we get together on Sundays, we don't always have a big meal, uh, but we take some time to uh, take some bread and some juice to remember Jesus' sacrifice, his love, what he accomplished through his life, the mission of his life, and uh, the way he has invited and accepted us in to relationship with God. And so during this song, you can go back to the table and take some bread and juice and just spend some time remembering the generosity that Jesus offered uh, through relationship and in relationship with us. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, um, Jesus, I'm thankful for the way you lived your life, that there's a lot of deep stuff and a lot of confusing teaching and a lot of things that we experience and encounter in Scripture that, uh, that are difficult to get our minds around, but we can get our mind around this, that you demonstrated your love for the world, your willingness to accept people through the way you shared your life with them that you made yourself available and even at mealtimes as a, just an example of what it looked like to share your life and to welcome and to accept people um, in that space. And so I pray that you would continue to teach us what does it look like to love and care for our neighborhood? What does it look like for us to love and care for our friends, to offer hospitality, to be generous, to give relationship, not holding people's sins against them, but welcoming them in to relationship with uh, the family of God and with you. And so we thank you, Jesus, for the way you lived, and we remember you in this moment as we take the bread and the juice. We remember your life. We remember the way you lived and loved, and um, thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. 